Welcome to the Work Life Brilliance Podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. All right, everybody, welcome to this episode of the Work Life Brilliance Podcast, and I'm super excited to talk about one of our favorite topics to talk about, and that is voice. And last week it was about a singer. This time we also have another expert at what she does, and it's Jessica Doyle Meckes. Meckes, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) You'll you'll know why I got that wrong when you read it. But she is a professor, speaker, executive vocal coach, and author, and much, much more. And she has a new book coming out. It's called I'm Speaking, Every Woman's Guide to Finding Your Voice and Using It Fearlessly. Mm-hmm. And it is coming out in October of 2023. I can't wait. And if you're listening to this after or watching this after 2023, just go get it. All right. So it is I'm Speaking, Every Woman's Guide to Finding Your Voice and Using It Fearlessly. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So tell us a little bit about your background. Because there's some stuff in there that I didn't put in, that I didn't mention that is uh, really cool that you do, and and why this topic? How did you get interested in it? Sure. So my background is in is in performance, is in uh, musical theater specifically. I had the the musical theater program at East Carolina University, so go Pirates <laughs> on that. But uh, I started out as a performer and uh, did that for a long time and lived a lot of really great places. And got interested when I was working uh, with a theater company in in coaching voice and working with singers in particular. And I didn't know a lot about it. I just sort of knew how my voice worked. And I decided uh, through a variety of channels, uh, I ended up in Los Angeles and I uh, apprenticed uh, with a voice teacher there for a while. And that's where I sort of got my feet wet in terms of how to work with other people's voices and how voices that are not in my throat go, uh, how they work. And so I uh, really, really fell in love with the voice, with working with singers and performers and actors and moved home to Michigan and started a community voice studio there, which I ran for about eight years in Grand Rapids on the west side of the state and very proudly grew it from one client via Craigslist to uh, a multi-teacher studio that saw hundreds of students every week and uh, really, really excellent, fun work being done. And I decided uh, I'd met my husband and we wanted to start a family. And if you own a small business, you know that the hours can be really brutal. And particularly in service-based businesses that work with a lot of young people, it's Saturdays and after school. And it really just wasn't conducive um, to the lifestyle that I wanted to have. So I went back to school. I got my master's uh, in opera performance, actually, and uh, with the goal of teaching in higher ed. And so in 2017, I was hired at ECU and I teach uh, applied voice there with their musical theater students, which is like one-on-one voice lessons. And I also teach a voice pedagogy course. And so out of that, uh, I got interested in taking my work from working predominantly with performers into working with women and women's voices. And this started about three years ago. 
And I was really inspired because the women in my life, very dear friends of mine who were doing all the things, were educated and professional and multi-hyphenates and doing these wonderful things, were coming up against instances when they either had to ask for something that they needed or they needed to go in and speak to someone on their team or someone in management about a need of theirs that wasn't being met. And they were saying to me, look, I've been in school studying whatever it might be, medicine, law, teaching, whatever it is, for so many years, but no one has taught me how to do this. No one has said, okay, here's actually how you go in when you have to speak for yourself and not when you're speaking to a patient or speaking to a student or so on and so forth. And so I was helping them and it really got me thinking that my unique skill set of being a vocal coach and also having worked with performers and performance anxiety, uh, that there might be a way to translate that into helping more women. And so that's where the idea for the book really came from and sort of blossomed out of that. Uh, I had looked at the current literature and there seemed to be a lot in terms of public speaking and a lot in terms of women's empowerment and journaling and all of these great things and very little crossover between the two of how to actually do it. So we throw around terms a lot like gravitas or confidence or all of these things, but in terms of how do I actually go about making myself sound that way? Or how do I actually go about speaking and having those important conversations? And so that's sort of my background and, and where that idea came from. I call it the, uh, the very, very faint silver lining of the pandemic was that everything went virtual. And so I ended up connecting with uh, several wonderful organizations in the UK uh, with Speak Out Revolution, which is a nonprofit in the UK, Rose is running here, um, which uh, works to end the culture of silence uh, around harassment with women in the workplace and with STEMazing, which is another wonderful nonprofit uh, that takes women who are in the upper levels of STEM and uses them to mentor uh, younger girls and women, getting more women into STEM. And so I was able to, because everyone was online, just like obviously we are right now, it was really cool to be able to, to work with these different groups and, and to really get my feet wet in this space. And uh, my wonderful agent, Catherine Sands, uh, who's in New York, signed me this, I was an unknown, <laughs> unknown author. And I was working on my platform and things, but she really believed in the book and believed in me and my work. And through several different iterations of the proposal, uh, I think it was just a really, really great timing. Uh, Kamala Harris was elected as VP and uh, women's rights in our country were and are being challenged and being stripped and it kind of came together and the book sold. So uh, I think it's a really great time uh, to have this conversation, shall we say. There is never a bad time to have this conversation, yes, but you're right. You're right. Women are leaving the workplace um, mm -hmm. more than ever. They have not closed the wage gap mm -hmm. and they're afraid to use their voices. And especially mm -hmm. if you're a minority woman mm -hmm. and you use your voice, uh, there are so many stereotypes about it that it will be used against you. So it is a fine line. And you, you're so right that there are so many books about presentation skills and they are, they're great books. Uh, but there's not a lot that tells you what to do and what not to do. Mm -hmm. And if anybody doubts that 
theater isn't relevant to the corporate world, well, then you've never done theater. Because just, I'm always saying that the the tight deadlines, and by the way, you don't get to push those deadlines out, right? The, the show opens. The curtain is when the curtain is. It yeah. is. And whether you have a cold or what, you have to show up. And you have to work with other people. You have to work with other personalities. Um, so, and and you have to do it without it seeming like you're acting. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I remember I was with a student once in Nashville and we were at a recording studio and they were cutting a demo and there were all these young up and coming artists at the studio working and he would, my student was flat and I was like, Ooh, you know, we're going to have to fix that. He's flat. And they were like, Oh, that's okay. We'll just auto tune it. <laughs> and I was like, you know, in what I do, there is no auto tune and you only right. get one chance. <laughs> right. And you can't go back and redo right. it. Like, no, no. Ignore that you ignore yeah. what I just exactly. said. Exactly. Exactly. Let's mm -hmm. do it this way instead. Mm -hmm. All right. So what, what is so darn important about voice to you? Because we could be talking about a lot of things we could, and, and we might be talking about posture and other things. Um, but obviously, we're, we're going to talk less today about what they say. That's something that I help people do a lot mm -hmm. of is use these words, not those words. Mm -hmm. But what's so important about how it comes out, what it sure. sounds like? Sure. So I like to say that if the eyes are the window to the soul, the voice is a type woman. So when you say something, the way that you sound is really the introduction to the main event, which is the words that you're using. And I think tone of voice matters so much personally and professionally. Uh, I joke and say, just think back to the last you know, argument you had with a spouse or partner and or that talking with your teenager of saying, don't take that tone with me. You know, I know for myself, if my husband has a certain tone, I'm no longer listening to what he has to say, right? I'm only focused on how he sounds. And I think the same thing when you're presenting, if you sound lackluster, if you don't have energy, if you sound like you're not confident, uh, people start to either worry about you, you know, are, are you okay? They start to question you, maybe they tune out. And if you sound particularly croaky or gravelly, they might even wonder like, oh gosh, I wonder if that's contagious. Like, I, I hope I don't catch it. And all of these things, they're no longer focused on your message. They're hung up more so on, on the way that you sound. And so in, in the voice business, we refer to people who use their voices and their voices are essential for their, uh, for their work as professional voice users. So uh, oftentimes we think of actors, we think of singers, we think of TV personalities, things like that. And I argue in my work and in the book that all women are professional voice users because I'm very hard pressed to think of a woman whose voice isn't essential, be it to her family, to her workplace, to her community, to the world, you know, and, and it's kind of a joke to say, but like if I didn't have the women in my life supporting me, be it my, my midwife, be it my hairstylist, be it whoever it might be. I would be, I'd have a really bad haircut. <laughs> I'd probably have postpartum depression, right? Uh, I would have all these horrible things happening because those voices and the women who surround me are really, really essential. And I think what a lot of women fail to realize is they they work a lot and it's equally important on the words that they say, this, the same this and not this. But what they don't realize is that the voice is made of muscle and it's made of skeletal muscle, which is the same kind of muscle that you work in the gym which means that it can be trained and it can be changed. And that also means that it needs to be warmed up. Uh, it means it needs to be hydrated and it needs to be taken care of. 
And there are some really easy things that you can add into your daily routine that make a huge difference in terms of the way that you sound. Um, it also means because of that, that the voice can be injured. And I, I believe the statistic is that one in, one in 13 uh, US adults have some sort of a voice disorder every year. And you might think like, well, I'm not a rock star. I'm not you know, out there screaming day and night. How am I going to injure my voice? But it's things like talking too loudly for a long period of time. It's things like if you're someone who works in sales, if you are an attorney, if you're working in the courtroom, if you are uh, particularly, I worry if, if your job includes, you know, cleared for takeoff or, or scalpel, something like that, that if you're using your voice a lot, just like an athlete, it can be, it can get injured. You can have some sort of a pathology. And those things really affect the way that you sound and can really also negatively affect the message that you're trying to get across, which whether it's presentational or, or conversational. So it becomes something that I think a lot of women don't think about. And I really want them to think about is not only that the voice can be changed in work, but also how to take care of it. And you mentioned hydration and I know mm -hmm. a lot of people are underhydrated. So what, yes. so maybe this will get people to drink more water, but what, <laughs> what is it, what does it do if you're, if you're dehydrated, what does that do to your voice? Sure. So I stole this from another voice, another voice professional, but he calls it the whiskey troll that you wake up sounding like a whiskey troll. But basically it's that croaky, gravelly, hoarse sort of a sound. And anatomically what happens is that is that your vocal folds, which are, are in your in your voice box, in your larynx, which create the sound, they have this jello like stuff in them. And it's the jiggle of the jello that gives you a really clear sound to your voice, a clear and energized sound. So if you think about jello being dehydrated, it's not going to be as jiggly, right? And that's when we start to get the hoarseness. So we start to get that gravelly sound. Sometimes if you've had a bad night's sleep or you wake up in the morning and you sound like that whiskey troll or have that croaky morning voice, a lot of times that's that's what that can, um, can come across as. Uh, the other thing to note is that your vocal folds, they do really heavy lifting. They're really tiny. They're about the same size as your thumbnail in terms of length. And if you, if you take your hands and you just kind of bring them together, that's like speaking. And then if I were to really slam them together, that's like speaking loudly or yelling. And so if you do that even for a little while, you'll feel that your hands start to tingle and they start to get red. And it's the same thing with the voice. And I, I always equate it At first, you know, it's going to rub a little bit on the back of your heel. You're going to get a red spot, a hot spot. Eventually, that would turn into a blister. And over time, if, if you didn't change the behavior, it would turn into a callus. And it's the same thing on the vocal folds. However, we have this wonderful mucus that lives in the vocal folds that helps to lubricate. And so that they that when they do come together and they do all of this heavy work that they're doing, um, that they're not swelling and they're not getting injured. And hydration is such a major part of that because the voice itself doesn't have its own hydration or lubrication system. It is completely dependent upon systemic hydration, upon you being hydrated. And so if it's dehydrated, that mucus gets really sticky and it's not nearly as good at 
absorbing that impact and lubricating the vocal folds. And the thing to note is that it takes about four hours for the water that you drink to actually have an effect on your voice. So uh, if you have a morning meeting, I call it like super hydration, you could have a glass of water right when you get up, but you could set your alarm, you know, for four hours before your nine o'clock, get up, have a glass of water, go back to bed. No, you don't have to do that. But it is really mindful that we're just continuously hydrating because we lose about two pounds um, of water weight every night just through breathing. And so wow. when you wake up in the morning, you are, uh, you are dehydrated and it is really important to replace that. Two pounds of water weight. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so we talked about just the, the gravelly voice. Um, mm -hmm. So a lot of women are in rooms or Zooms with mm -hmm. men mm -hmm. who have a different register. Yes. And I mean, I'm just feeling for women who have even a high, a high register for women mm -hmm. and how they can probably get discounted, probably mm -hmm. not, not respected or, um, so what would you say to women who have a high register or women who are in rooms where it's men? And so theirs is just going to be naturally higher. And mm. what, what would you do besides have them, pre, you know, have a husky voice. Like what, what like what would you recommend? Yeah, them sure. So that's a really common problem. Um, women's voices being described as either too quiet and meek, too high and shrill. Uh, they up speak at the end. You know, everything is a question. Today is Sunday, and as if as if I'm not sure. Those are really common critiques on on women's voices, and I think. You hit the nail on the head, Denise, in saying that it comes from the stereotype of what authority sounds like, what confidence sounds like, and that stereotype is male, right? Is is it's the lower, uh, huskier voice. The other side of that is that women uh, may not realize that they're working oftentimes with equipment that was designed for male voices to amplify male voices. So when you say equipment, you mean like literal, I mean like right? literal equipment. Yeah. Yes. So like directional microphones, which are the mics that are used in a lot of conference rooms were designed to pick up lower pitches or lower frequencies. So as a woman, it's really important. Uh, if you are going to be speaking somewhere, one that you see if there's a sound engineer, and so that that person can be aware of the sound of your voice and then can adjust accordingly, particularly if you're one in a line of speakers where there might be someone taller, larger, male going in front of you. You're going to want to make sure, one, if there's a sound engineer, that they're aware. Two, that you take the time to either have the microphone adjusted or adjust the microphone so that it does hit because it's directional, meaning one direction. So it is picking up what you are saying um, because those things become really, really important when not every body is the same and not every voice is the same. The other thing is uh, this idea of the equipment physically being designed for the male voice dates back to the beginning of radio. And in the 20s, uh, Congress actually put a limit on the bandwidth that radio stations could acquire. And it was expensive. And so the, you know, Tom, Dick and Harry got together at the radio station and said, okay, what frequencies or what pitches do we wanna purchase? You know, how much bandwidth do we need? Well, obviously it was as little as possible 
and they never thought women would be on the radio. And so the bandwidth that is there, the frequencies that are amplified are the lower frequencies. And I would like to say that in a hundred years that has changed, but it hasn't wow. really. Uh, a lot of the data compression for audio and Bluetooth speakers and things are still the same way where uh, they amplify the lower frequencies, which means for a lot of women that have higher voices, it makes them sound shrill or tinny. Uh, it can cut some of their consonant sounds, which makes it more difficult for them to be understood. So um, it, it can really cause women's voices to lose that definition. So the things I would say is just realize that these things are are real. You know, the, the deck is kind of stacked against you in that way. And so checking in with a sound engineer, asking for a microphone if one isn't provided is so important. Uh, practicing, if you're going to use a directional mic or a handheld mic, practice with a spoon in your kitchen. You know, practice keeping it in front of your mouth so that it's close and that it's uh, going to pick up your voice as best as it can. Um, so just really advocating for yourself and knowing that, again, if you're if you're one in a line of speakers, that your voice is going to need to be treated differently than perhaps a male voice that's that's going before you. Yeah. And so a lot of people won't have sound engineers, mm -hmm. um, unfortunately. And now we know a lot of people are also on Zoom. And mm -hmm. so would you also recommend I see in here so many people just using the mic that's on the mm -hmm. on the computer um, would you recommend that people actually get a real mic? It depends. I mean, it really depends what what needs you have, right? So uh, when when COVID hit, we went online. Uh, my voice lessons went online in like a week, and we took our whole our whole program online, which was a feat when you think that the program the program is performance based. And as part of that, we were able to purchase um, some really nice multi directional microphones. Uh, and that was to pick up singers better and to really give me as as their coach uh, the true impact of of what they were saying or what they were saying and how they sounded. I would say if you're if you're working over Zoom, Zoom has actually gotten a lot better since the beginning of COVID in terms of their audio. Uh, I used to work when I would work with singers, they used to actually run my audio through a different interface uh, because Zoom's audio was so bad, but they've actually upped their game quite a bit in terms of picking up voices and working with musicians and things. So I would say it really depends upon what, what your needs are. If you're going to be someone like yourself who's hosting a podcast, who's going to be recorded, who wants to make sure that that, that microphone is, is really attuned to, the, to their voice, then absolutely. If you're someone that is, you know, Zooming with friends or Zooming for a meeting uh, where it's not as important, I do think actually Zoom's audio has gotten better. That is good. I had no idea that Zoom um, made their audio better because how would they I know, did. right? They like, did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They actually have a if you go uh, next to and I am I'm not uh, affiliated with Zoom in any way, but if you go next to audio into the audio settings, there's a little thing you can check that is for high performance, high performance uh, audio. Mm -hmm. Okay, good to know. What other tips, tools? I know you mentioned something about uh, something men probably don't have to worry about, and that is high heels and shapewear. Mm, yes, big time. So lots of things that affect the sound of your voice that we may not realize. And those are two of them is high heels and, and shapewear. And so um, 
if you think of your posture, we often think, okay, uh, most of us have seen the power poses uh, TED Talk and uh, about how to stand and how to convey confidence, right? But what you may not know is that actually your head meets your spine on a joint called your atlantoaccipital joint, which is if you if you draw a line right between the little indents behind your ears, that's where it is. And you can feel your head balanced on that. It kind of gets to feeling like a bobblehead or a fathead. And when you feel that, that's your spine taking the weight of your head. And your head is heavy. And I always say to my students, the Jerry Maguire quote of, Oh, the, the human head weighs eight pounds, the human, which none of them get because they've never seen the movie. But I still make it. I still make the reverence. Uh, but anyway, the, the, the head is heavy. And so the spine is really taking the majority of the weight there. And that is what that's doing is keeping my vocal tract or everything from my larynx here where my vocal folds are out of my mouth really nice and tall. OK, and, and the thing with sound is that more space equals more bass. So if you think of your voice like a speaker system having woofer and tweeter, and you're always sort of playing with that balance of what you want to sound like, if I have a lot of space in my vocal tract, I'm going to have a lot of woofer. I'm going to have a lot of bass. If I take my head forward, and you'll be able to hear the change in my sound mm. just by taking my head forward, all of a sudden I've shrunk my vocal tract. And so I've gotten rid of the woofer, and I've really upped the tweeter. And you can really hear all I'm doing is moving my head forward on my neck, and you can hear how my sound starts to go more into my nose. Uh, it becomes more shrill. It becomes more tinny. Uh, so that's something to really be aware of, particularly because when we're wearing heels, we're changing that natural center of gravity in our body. And so we're, when you change, the rule with posture is there's about six points of balance in the body. And if one of them is out of alignment, head, shoulders, knees, and toes, it's, it's going to affect the rest of them. So I wouldn't say don't ever, don't ever wear high heels. What I would say is practice in the shoes that you're going to wear. And I, I speak from experience. And when I went back to graduate school, I had to do an audition and sing for uh, 20 minutes. It was a 20 minute uh, singing audition and then an interview. And I planned my outfit and I had these really cute heels that I bought, which I, of course, did not practice in because I didn't take my own advice. And I got about halfway through the first song and I started to feel a little uncomfortable. And then my legs started to shake <laughs> and then my feet hurt. And I was, you know, shifting my weight back and forth the whole time. And all of that could have been prevented if I had just practiced in the shoes that I was going to wear. Wow. Well, you reminded me of a, a big event I did. There were like 250 people. And um, I didn't realize at the time I had a foot condition. Um, mm. And I was, I don't usually wear heels, but I wore heels that day. And I just want to say also, I, I'm so glad you told us about the forward head. On Zoom, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. Because even if you're not wearing heels, a lot of women in, mm -hmm. and men, but a lot of mm -hmm. are, have not aligned, they're not aligned. Mm -hmm. And also our shoulders are crunched usually. Yes. We're, 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 so we're not long, like you said, mm -hmm. usually. Right. And so just even thinking about that, about being as long and tall mm -hmm. as you can be, but being comfortable. Because if your shoes are uncomfortable, you don't have as much brain capacity mm -hmm. either. Um, and your, your focus, your focus mm -hmm. is more elsewhere. Um, and if your voice is sounding funny, then it's going to affect your your mm -hmm. presence because you'll be 
like, that's not how I usually sound. Mm -hmm. um, so all good things to note. And then shapewear, I'm guessing, has to do something with the breath. Okay? It does. It does. So when you think of like really constrictive shapewear, um, there's a couple things that happen. So when we naturally breathe, and you've probably heard the term belly breathing, I don't like to use the term because it implies that air is actually going into the belly. <laughs> or I guess if you don't understand the term, it could imply that air actually goes into the belly, which if that is the case, then you need to you know turn off the podcast and excuse me and go to the hospital right away because something is wrong. So uh, what we're really talking about is allowing the abdominal muscles to not be rigidly held in so that when we inhale, what happens is we have this muscle called the diaphragm and it uh, lives between the lungs. So it lives up, up in the rib cage between the lungs at rest. And when we inhale, it contracts and it pushes down into the bottom of the lungs and into, um, into the abdominal cavity a bit. And if the muscles in the abdomen are rigidly held in, whether by force of will or by tight shapewear, it prevents the diaphragm from fully contracting. And so then the diaphragm creates the vacuum that sucks air into the lungs. So what you're really doing is you're preventing yourself from being able to take a full breath because that diaphragm doesn't have room to fully contract. And the reason we call it belly breathing is because the belly does go in and out. And what you're really seeing is the contraction of the diaphragm and then the viscera, the organs have to go somewhere. And so they go out. And so the lungs are expanding and then the belly is going in and out. But if we don't have that ability, then the lungs aren't able to fully expand. And something that can happen and does happen for a lot of women is that without realizing it, we actually live in a pretty constant state of hyperventilation. And because we're constantly taking these shallow breaths and the way our nervous system works is that the nerve endings that are responsible for that rest and digest, that parasympathetic nervous system are at the bottom of our lungs. And the nerve endings that are responsible for the fight or flight are at the top. And so whichever one we are activating with the amount of air that we're taking in is, is gonna be the one that is, is, that is activated. And so if you're constantly taking shallow breaths, whether because you are really nervous and hyperventilating or more likely because you're rigidly held in, whether because you're just trying to suck it in and tuck it under or because of shapewear, you're constantly activating those nerve endings that are gonna keep you in a state of panic, which is not good for a host of reasons for your health, but is particularly not great if you're up giving a presentation or you're about to go in and have an important conversation. Right. and. So if you don't manage your anxiety mm -hmm. before, mm -hmm. it's going to ratchet up during. Mm -hmm. And and people can literally have panic attacks on mm -hmm. stage or in a mm -hmm. meeting um, where they have extreme trouble breathing. Mm -hmm. So I would invite everybody to just try the exercise you did around putting your hand on your belly and breathing in. And you, there's some people, it doesn't happen, I don't think, very often, but some people actually have reverse breathing where they're sucking in their stomach yes. as they're mm -hmm. breathing in. Mm -hmm. And that, then you're just starving yourself of air. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That, I, I like to think of it as filling up as opposed to breathing in. Because sometimes when we say yes. breathing in, we do that, that suck in thing. But if you think of filling up, 
then everything starts to go out. And it really just goes back to the idea that women are allowed to take up space. You know, you're allowed to have a belly that goes out when you breathe. You're allowed to not be, you know, rigidly holding your abdominal muscles in at all times uh, because the body was not made to be that way. And I think that's something that gets lost a lot of times for women because we're so focused on looking a certain way or appearing a certain way. And so that idea of, of expanding becomes really frightening. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. I love that. Plus, and if you're off camera, all the more reason to just be big, just mm -hmm. <laughs> absolutely be big. And then um, you mentioned something in your book, uh, mm -hmm. your book outline that I saw about three commandments. Do you want to mm -hmm. tell me what those are? Sure. So they're my three commandments for conquering fear. Uh, they are prime, pinpoint, and power. And prime is the brain science-based research. We've learned so much in the last 10 years. Uh, uh, brain science researchers have told us about how the brain learns. And in terms of that, you can actually prime or prepare our brain, our body, and our voice to do its best work. And so it's things like getting seven to eight hours of sleep at night and hydrating and eating balanced meals. And I always joke that those are sort of the, my mom told me to do those, those basic tenets of self-care, but they're the first things that go out the window when we get busy. And all of a sudden we say to ourselves, okay, it's two o'clock and all I've had is a cup of coffee or I'm busy, so I'm gonna stay up late and I have to get this project done. And so all of a sudden I only got five hours of sleep. And we know, I think inherently that those things aren't great for us, but most of the time we don't realize how bad they are and how particularly if those things become a habit, how much havoc they can wreak on everything from our ability to problem solve, our ability to think clearly, our ability to regulate our emotions, our mental status and our voice and, and the way that we sound. Yeah. Um, another meaning of the word priming that uses our voice is mm -hmm. when, um, so let's say I have a client who formerly had a reputation of being quiet. Mm -hmm. People often will not notice a, a major change in that person. They'll just think, oh, well, she finally spoke up. You know, mm -hmm. they'll have a negative connotation around mm -hmm. it. And priming is to let somebody know, hey, you know what? And then you drop something cool. Like I've invested mm -hmm. in myself with a coach with a, and um. One of the things I've realized is that sometimes I have things to say, but I just think them. So mm -hmm. from now on, I'm going to be saying them out loud more often. Mm -hmm. And now you've primed this person's brain, sure. which was distracted by so many other things and also mm -hmm. had a bias against you and already had a reputation in their mind that had neural pathways for it. Now you've created a little neural pathway that these mm -hmm. new observations can travel on and it can just start to change your reputation more quickly. And so I just wanted to throw that in why oh, I love I, that, why yeah. I love your word prime so much because, and yes. it, you're right. And then you can know all those things, but if you don't get the sleep and the nutrition that you were talking about, then when you tell this person, when you prime them, you're going to do it poorly mm -hmm. because you'll be nervous, mm -hmm. um, hyperventilate. Mm -hmm. What did you call it? It wasn't. Uh, hyper yeah. Hyperventilation. Okay. Idea of, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you'll, it'll come off something like, oh. I'm really working on speaking up more. So I hope you notice, and I hope I don't say something stupid. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. you can do that the wrong way too. Absolutely, absolutely. 
Yeah, yeah, I love that. No, I love that use of the word as well. Uh, the second one that I have is, is pinpoint, and pinpoint just means maintaining focus. And that's dealing with, I think a lot of times when it comes to speaking up personally and professionally, it's the fear of the unknown. Uh, what if, what if someone, what if I lose my train of thought and I can't get back on? What if I'm asked a question sort of out of left field and I don't know how to answer or I do answer and then I don't remember what I was saying? What if someone's phone goes off? What if I get interrupted? What if, what if, what if, what if I'm late getting there? Whatever it might be. And so being able to maintain focus with whatever else is going around is a skill that can be honed. And so in my book, I talk about ways to do that. Uh, things like working with a partner and setting up a simulated interview or a simulated presentation and having them ask you a question that has nothing to do with what it is that you're talking about or having your phone ring. Or if you're worried about, you know, what if I'm late and I can't find the room? Great. So walk around your house for five minutes, like you're running late, then walk in and give that talk. And so what you're doing is you're taking the unknown, what could happen, and you're preparing for it. You're saying, okay, these things might happen. You know, my legs might start to shake when I'm speaking. Great. So let's do a wall sit for two minutes, you know, until your legs start to shake a little bit. And then let's give your talk. Or let's um, do jumping jacks so that I'm a little bit, my heart is racing and I'm a little out of breath. And then I'm going to give my talk. And so they seem like really silly things, but what you're really doing is taking away that fear of the unknown and allowing yourself to, to maintain that focus on what it is that you're doing. That's great. And um, you might want to run around the block too, because your, yes. heart, is, your heart is probably going to be racing. And I noticed this, like, <clears throat> I don't get nervous before talks anymore. And part of it is because uh, you mentioned beliefs. Uh, well, first of all, I'm just present on the calls because I'm not thinking about, I'm not worried. So I'm just yeah. present. And then whatever happens, happens. But even for me, when I'm doing that, and it can be 200 people globally, I, I will look at my ring status afterwards. Mm -hmm. And my heart rate was so high during the talk. Yeah. And it was because I was excited. Mm -hmm. I was in the moment. And so you got to be prepared for those things. But if you are present, then you won't have the nerves. The nerves will turn into excitement mm -hmm. because, oh, you're going to like this. And I want to, I want to make sure I get this quote, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to look at my note over here on the wall. Um, Fritz Perls, who created Gestalt Therapy, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he wrote, anxiety is just excitement without breath. Yeah. Wow. So if yeah. you're anxious or nervous, you know, like, just like, take a freaking breath, like you right. were describing and fill up. I love that. Yes. Fill up and fill out. And then mm -hmm. oh, now your nervous system, your vagus nerve, it can all, your fight flight, yes. like you said, now the, the cortisol dump can move through you. You can just breathe. And then tell yourself, no, I'm not anxious. I'm excited. Absolutely. Yes, I love that. I talk about breath a lot uh, in the book and, and in my work in that uh, it is to energize the body or it is to relax the body and energize the voice. You mm -hmm. know, that idea that, that it does both things. And I, I stole that from a, a teacher I had in grad school and he was saying that mine did neither. <laughs> and so I've thankfully become a better breather <laughs> since then. But that idea that it can relax the body 
and, and also energize the voice because your, your breath is the gas. You know, I think the other thing that a breath does that I like clients to focus on is that it gives you control. So if I need to pause, I can take a breath. If I start going in a direction I don't want to be going, I can take a breath. And I think that idea of pacing and of pause, particularly when we get excited, becomes so important. I know for myself, when I started teaching, I would get so excited about the work and I would throw like, here's everything I know that can help you. <laughs> you know, the first time I heard someone sing something and they were overwhelmed and it wasn't because I was trying to, to have that effect on them. It was because I was excited and I was like, you know, yeah. here's all the things that we can do. And it's really become a skill to pause and to breathe and to say, okay, we're going to start with this. And then once we get a handle on this, we're going to build and then we're going to build. And so that I can be excited and also um, not overwhelm the person that I'm working with. I just, I so get that. <laughs> uh, all right. So what was the last? There was another P, the right? The last one is, pow is power. Yeah. And that's just courage. That's the idea that you prepare, you know, you prime, you take care of your body, mind, voice, all of those things so that you set yourself up for success. Uh, you practice, you know, you prepare. Uh, in the book, I talk about um, knowing your material so well that it's like you're talking about your favorite movie or your favorite dessert or whatever it might be. And you know all the ins and outs and you can talk about it and you're so excited about it. And let me tell you about this great movie that I just saw. And here's, you know, the blooper reel and here's this and here's that. And that you know your material that well so that you can play with it. And it doesn't have to feel like it is memorized and set in stone or that you're reading from a script or anything like that. And so once you've done that, then power is just about courage. It's like, okay, now we have to do it, right? And uh, the idea that I use with actors a lot is you have to separate, okay, what can I control versus what can't I control, right? So I can control how much I prepare. I can control for a, a great amount how I sound. I can control what I'm wearing and how I look and how I'm moving and all of those things. I can control that I'm going to give you the very best that I have. How you receive that and what you do with it, I can't control, right? So if I can come in an audition and give my very best audition, and then I have to let it go. And so the, the courageous part is both of those things. It's, it's coming in and giving yourself the very best shot that you have. It's, it's preparing and doing all of the things to set yourself up for success. And then it's also saying, okay, that's it. You know, I, I, do I have control over this? Do I not have control over this? And then being okay with that. Yes. And uh, the theater and the workplace, mm. even though one is scripted, shit happens. You oh, forget, all the time. You forget mm -hmm. your lines or somebody else forgets it or somebody mm -hmm. gives you the wrong cue or somebody forgets to even, you know, give you your cue at all. And mm -hmm. now they're running into your time. Okay. So this doesn't happen very often in theater, but in the workplace, mm -hmm. if you have an hour long meeting and mm -hmm. you are fifth on the agenda and they have given you 15 minutes of time on the agenda, mm -hmm. it is quite likely you're only going to have three minutes. Mm -hmm. Like that's just what it's going to happen. What's going to happen. Yeah. And in theater, you don't stop it and go, Hey everybody. Um, I'm sorry. He forgot to give me the line. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go back. No, we just, they roll with it. 
Right. Mm-hmm. And so I love that you don't have perfection as one of your P's, P-E-P's mm-hmm. because there is no such thing. No. Mm-mm. Like you said, you can be prepared, but then you just have to be present because yes. whatever happens, happens. And mm-hmm. if, if you know your stuff, it doesn't matter if they only give you three minutes. Um, and you don't want to like start from beginning and, and act like you have 15 mm-hmm. minutes. You, you are doing some, because you're breathing, because you're present, mm-hmm. because you're courageous, you're like, I got, I got this. I can do this. <laughs> yes. And maybe right. you even say, okay, these were the five things I was going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Which of those matters the most? Raise your hand. Like, you know, you, right. you, absolutely. You'll just be in the moment. And mm-hmm. that is powerful. Mm-hmm. That kind of courage and unflappability under circumstances, they don't have to teach that to theater people because they mm-hmm. just, they have to, there's, there's no option. True. It's true. <laughs> but in the business world, they act like, oh, things aren't going as planned on the agenda. Now what do mm-hmm. I do? I had mm-hmm. this script. Don't script, just know it. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't know it, see if anybody else around the table. Hey, I don't have that stat. Does anybody have that stat? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do we need that? Uh, no, we can keep going. Okay. Let's just keep going. You know, just, mm-hmm. Be present, but if you're not breathing, those things will not come to you. Right, absolutely. And then you're getting in your head about, you know, how are how are they thinking I sound, or how do I sound, or did I say the right thing, or right. so on and so forth. Rather than, and I, I talk about that with singers all the time. I love that idea of being present when you're speaking. Uh, if it's as if you're if you're listening to yourself and you're making judgments, you cannot be authentically telling the story, right? Because we're terrible. Our brains are terrible multitaskers. We're always at war if we're doing more than one thing. And so it's the same thing. If you're if you're worried about X, Y, and Z, or you're listening to yourself, or you're judging yourself internally as you're speaking, you cannot be in the moment. You cannot be present. Uh, that's really wonderful. Yeah. And anybody who's ever mm-hmm. seen somebody on stage who is nervous and self-conscious, I, I, I can't stand it. I, I, hurt, I hurt for them so yes. much. Yes, and absolutely. So your courage is actually a gift to everybody else. Mm-hmm. And your unflappability and your ability to laugh at yourself. And, yes. Um, yes, and absolutely. Nobody's going to die. <laughs> nobody's going to die during. That's, that's the other one. A friend of mine says that all the time. He's like, this is not life or death. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, this is not. It's not. He goes like, so just take a step back, you know, and realize that it's going to be okay. <laughs> What haven't we talked about that you think we should we should talk about? Oh goodness. Um I think the other thing that I mentioned in the book quite a bit that I think is so important is that um recording yourself, recording yourself and listening back. Because the voice that you hear coming out of your mouth and coming back to your ears is not the same voice that your audience is hearing. And you know that if you've ever recorded yourself and listened back, you go, that's not what I sound like, right? And that's because when you talk, yes, you get your sound coming back at you, but you also get all these little vibrations in your bones and they go through, they're conducted into your inner ear. And those vibrations have sound. And so the sound that you hear in your head is always going to be different than the sound that your audience hears. And so that's so, it's imperative that you record yourself and listen back so you know what you actually sound like. And it's the same thing with with video recording and watching back. 
physical mannerisms. We, do, we have what's called this somatic Rolodex or a movement Rolodex that starts when we're born and our body just catalogs all of the movement patterns that we use. And some of them serve us really well and some of, some of them do not. But the more we do them, the more repetition there is, the more ingrained that movement pattern becomes until a lot of times you're not even aware that you're doing it. I gave a talk a couple years ago and it was one of my first times talking on Zoom for any length of time. And I noticed when I was watching it back, the content was great, everybody had a good time. I was going like this, I was going whenever I wanted to fill the space instead of saying um. And I was really focused on not saying um. And so I was like, you know, Denise, I just think that it was this really annoying sound. And I was so embarrassed because I thought, oh gosh, I'm on here talking about talking and speaking. And here I am making this, this tongue sucking, you know, teeth sucking sound, but I had no idea I was doing it. And I wouldn't have known if I had, and I would have known if I had recorded myself and watched back, you know, before, before that moment. So those, those two things, video recording to see your mannerisms and then audio recording to really know how you sound. Because if you want to change that sound, if you're thinking, okay, I need to pace myself, I need to speak a little slower, or I need to uh, be a little louder, whatever it might be, you, ha you have to know what that sounds like first. Oh, I love that. And I'm so glad you caught that quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. All right, Jessica. Well, um, this has been Awesome. So informative. Thank you so much because it's not just what you say, how you say it, it's how you sound. Absolutely. Well. Mm -hmm. And we're both about helping women be more powerful and respected. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. thank goodness, thank goodness we're not all on the radio because I mean, right? those, those <laughs> registers, I can't believe that bandwidth yeah. story. Yeah. Uh, so how can people find you? Sure. So uh, the book itself comes out uh, in October and it's out for pre-order now. Uh, everywhere books are sold. So Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Walmart, all the places. Uh, and then my website is uh, jessicadoylemeckes.com, which is uh, D-O-Y-L-E-M-E-K-K-E-S, jessicadoylemeckes.com. And that has uh, all my info. And that's also all of my uh, social media handles. It's just, it's just my name. Okay. And the book is I'm Speaking, Every Woman's Guide to Finding Your Voice and Using It Fearlessly. That's the idea. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful. Thanks for listening to Work-Life Brilliance. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend. And we greatly appreciate your favorable review to let us know we're helping you become a more brilliant version of yourself by listening in.